Hello, welcome to another COVID-19 Law and Policy Briefing produced by the Public Health Law Watch, a George Consortium initiative housed at Northeastern University School of Law. Thank you to our co-sponsors, the Center for Public Health Law Research at Temple University, the Network for Public Health Law, Change Lab Solutions, and the APHA Law Section. We're here to provide expert legal analysis during the COVID-19 pandemic and hopefully to answer some of your questions. For more information on the COVID legal response, please check out our report, Assessing Legal Responses to COVID-19, at www.covid19policyplaybook.org. In the report, 50 national experts assess the U.S. policy response and provide specific recommendations on how federal, state, and local leaders can better respond to COVID-19, as well as future pandemics. I'm Wendy Parmet. I'm the faculty director for the, of the Center for Health, Policy, and Law at Northeastern University School of Law. Our guests today are Lindsay Wiley, the Director of the Health, Law, and Policy Program and Professor of Law at Washington College of Law at American University, and Professor Lance Gable from Wayne State University Law School. Please use the hashtag, hashtag COVID Law Briefing for any questions or comments in response to this briefing. So as COVID-19 cases are surging, resurging around the country, more and more health experts and government officials are calling for a mask mandate. In the last few days, several Republican governors who have long resisted mask mandates, including the governor of Utah, the governors of Utah, Iowa, and North Dakota, have imposed some kind of mandate. In addition, the president-elect has also talked about a mandate during the campaign, and more recent, but more recently, he has emphasized that he would require masks in federal facilities. My sense is that in calling for a mandate, health experts may be missing some of the legal problems that might face at least a federal mandate. But before we explore those, I'm wondering, Lindsay, if you can give us a brief overview of what's been happening at the state level in terms of mandates and the legal challenges they're facing. So as you indicated, it's a, a very dynamic situation. And uh, in the aftermath of the election, we've seen additional movement, although it's hard to know how much of that is politically motivated and how much of it is in response to this fall resurgence. Uh, and when I checked this morning, it looks like uh, at least 36 states and D.C. and Puerto Rico have uh, statewide mandates. But even looking at the statewide level, you're missing a lot of what's happening because in those states that don't have statewide mandates, we now have local governments um, pursuing their own mandates. And I think the biggest news out of Iowa last night um, was not just that there's a statewide mandate there, but that the Iowa governor uh, was the kind of last holdout in blocking local mandates within her state. And so so um, we've now got a situation where, uh, to my knowledge, every state in which there's not a statewide mandate, uh, state uh, local governments are at least not barred by the state from adopting their own mandates. And I think that's a big step forward. Um, I should issue one caveat to that, and this kind of gets us into the variation among these mandates at the state and local level, uh, which is that in, I believe in Florida, there is a statewide order that bars the imposition of fines and penalties um, by local governments for violations of their mandates. So I think 
think another important um, thing to keep tabs on is these mandates are far from uniform, and they've they've varied even from time to time within a single jurisdiction as jurisdictions have sought to balance and rebalance competing considerations, um, particularly concerns about the the logistics of enforcement. And so we see um, some mandates that are really requirements imposed on licensed businesses to make sure that they are requiring customers to wear masks. We see others that are uh, enforceable directly against individuals for not wearing masks. Um, We see a wide variation in the penalties um, that are are available. Um, And the exceptions tend to vary, although um, uh, there's some common ones that most mandates have adopted. In terms of legal challenges, the basic story here is that uh, individual rights challenges to mask mandates have been unsuccessful. Uh, That's not for lack of trying. There have been um, dozens of claims filed um, seeking to invalidate mask orders on individual rights grounds, including um, First Amendment rights to expression uh, and freedom of religion, uh, arguments that they're arbitrary and capricious or that the exceptions to them are. Um, But these claims, these challenges have been unsuccessful. The bigger vulnerability is um, structural challenges, questions about whether any given official who has issued the mandate has authority to do so. In that regard, I'm watching um, Wisconsin closely. The Supreme Court in Wisconsin uh, heard arguments yesterday in a case that could uh, invalidate the mandate there. Uh, The the really interesting thing there is that the uh, makeup of the state Supreme Court has changed um, since the the court last invalidated uh, the governor's orders. And so everyone's watching sort of a swing vote there um, to see uh, whether the result uh, will be different this time around. In the oral argument, there's some suggestion, though, that the the mass mandate there could be vulnerable. But again, that's not on the grounds of individual rights. That's on the grounds that the governor lacks statutory authority because of a time limit applicable to the emergency powers he's used to issue the mandate. Thank you. That's really helpful. Lance, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about a federal mandate. Once President-elect Biden is inaugurated, would he have the power to impose a nationwide mandate by executive order? Well, the answer is yes in some areas, but not across the board, or at least I don't think so. So um, it would be, I think, pretty straightforward for a President Biden to decide to implement a mandate in certain contexts. So in, for example, on all federal properties, um, you know, using some of the transportation laws, um, requiring a mandate for masks and public transportation, um, probably, you know, across the board in the military areas where the the federal executive has a lot of control. But the idea of doing a, a, a kind of broad federal mask mandate that would cover everyone in the country, I think would run into um, some pretty significant legal challenges that that exceeds the authority of the president to do just through executive order without some congressional authorization. Now, there might be some other options, though, um, in terms of trying to use federal power. So um, under Section 361 of the Public Health Service Act, um, the CDC director could try to issue a, a broader nationwide mask mandate similar to the mandate that was issued related to um, eviction an eviction moratorium back in September. The, the only concern about this idea, though, is that the, the scope of Section 361 is something that hasn't really been tested. You know, currently, the, the eviction moratorium is being challenged, and there's, a, I think, a lot of concern among uh, people who watch these issues closely that, um, that that could result in federal courts deciding that, that, that the CDC's authority there is not as broad as, um, a, a, as necessary to do some of these nationwide orders connected to, to public health. The, 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 the underlying authority says that the CDC 
CDC director can intervene and, and enact measures when state measures are insufficient to prevent the spread of communicable disease. And so you could make an argument that, that a national mask mandate would fit within that authority. Um, but because it hasn't been tried uh, prior to the eviction moratorium, um, I think there's a there's kind of a, 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 an uncertainty there as to whether courts would uphold a, 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 an order of that breadth. And, I, and, and another concern related to that is that if, if courts don't do that, it could result in an interpretation of the CDC's authority that is extremely narrow and undermine um, future efforts that, that might be uh, necessary to stop the spread of, of COVID and other uh, future pandemics. And so um, so those are some of the options on the table. I think, um, you know, ultimately, um, when we when we when we think about what the, the future is, some of those national level challenges, we also have to consider the, the fact that the federal courts have now been packed full of uh, newly conservative justices at all or judges and justices at all levels. Um, our new ultra conservative Supreme Court majority uh, could use some of these challenges as an excuse, not only to rein in the CDC's powers, but also to, to resurrect the non-delegation doctrine and do some other things that would um, make it harder to uh, pursue interventions for public health threats at the federal level going forward. That brings me, Lindsay, to the question Lance is talking about, you know, some of the question of presidential and executive authority here. Um, I know it seems unlikely that Congress would do this, but could Congress enact a federal mandate? They could try um, and they could use the uh, Interstate Commerce Authority, which is the basic authority that Section 361 relies on to focus on um, the, the risk of interstate or interjurisdictional spread of disease as a nexus to then say, essentially what they'd said in 361, that um, state and local uh, actions are inadequate. And so that's necessary for the federal government to step in um, and fill that gap. Um, it would be more vulnerable to legal challenge than state and local mandates would. Um, there's also the option of using Congress's spending power to essentially require state and local governments or state governments, first and foremost, to adopt mask requirements and enforce them. That would be problematic too, because um, there would be, it would be necessary to condition funding that is related to the pandemic in some way. And so you could actually end up in a situation not unlike the Medicaid expansion, where the states that need the support from the federal government the most um, may um, forego it for political reasons to kind of um, take a take a stand against uh, what, what is seen as an overreaching federal government. Uh, you know, I think the issue is moot with this Congress. Um, we're just hoping for some basic financial support from this Congress. Um, I think it's very unlikely that we get a national mandate um, uh, for masks. Uh, and enforcement would be an issue as well. So I think it's really critical in this whole discussion about at which jurisdictional level should we should we fight for mandates to remember that, that mask mandates are first and foremost a matter of persuasion. Um, it's just not logistically feasible to enforce them everywhere. And uh, uh, the higher the level of government, the less, the, the fewer tools there are uh, available to enforce. And actually some of the states that have declined to adopt statewide mandates have said that their reason for doing so is they don't have the enforcement mechanisms at the state level, that those enforcement mechanisms are local, and so they're encouraging local mandates. Um, so yes, they could try. I think it would be, um, it would potentially further politicize the issue, though. So I'm gathering you're not so adamant on the necessity or, or the wisdom, I should say, of a federal mandate. Is there anything else you want to add about that? I think, um, I, I think that's a fair characterization, and I think I would say the wisdom. Um, uh, the wisdom of it. I think it 
um, you know, I, I often say uh, a newly elected President Biden is not going to be the one to convince my uncle in Georgia to wear a mask. <laughs> and uh, the person who's most likely to convince convince uh, uh, those who are hesitant or recalcitrant um, are local leaders. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it takes time and patience. And that's something that a lot of us or, you know, don't have with a situation that's as dire as it is. But um, I'm really encouraged uh, by the steady expansion uh, of local mandates and of statewide mandates with some local adjustment and enforcement and buy-in. Um, I think that's I think that's by far the, the, the best approach, in part because of enforcement mechanisms, because, um, and it varies from state to state, but the, the, the enforcement mechanism that I find most promising for mass mandates is actually business licensing. So instead of handing out fines to individuals, the way that you would for something like an open container law, you know, if you're walking around with alcohol, um, instead of doing that, you actually go and, and conduct business inspections. It's the kind of health department or the licensing, you know, agency for food service or whatever else, not the police, um, which minimizes the risk of, of police escalation of confrontations. Um, and, and so I think that's a far better approach. And so with that in mind, I'm most interested in adopting mandates at the jurisdictional level in any given state that has that authority, that enforcement authority. Thanks. That's really great. When you think about enforcement, I think about I come from a state where we've had a mandate for quite a long time. The government just um, in strengthened it. And yet, I'll, you know, my neighborhood, a lot of people aren't wearing masks still all these months later. And I gather from the data that we are more in compliance than many states. So getting to real robust compliance is quite a challenge, even when you have a uh, rather strict mandate on the books. Lance, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the wisdom of mandates at a national level. Um, well, I, I largely agree with what Lindsay already said. I, I think that the while you know, there could be some potential advantages to a national level mandate, including um, the, the signaling that it sends about how important wearing masks is to stopping the spread of this disease and you know trying to harmonize some some level of, of uh, rules for mask wearing nationwide uh, the the potential backlash and the potential you know downside of, of that action you know might outweigh any kind of effectiveness and I think the enforcement um, issue is a really serious one as well in terms of how would how would a, a national mandate uh, be, you know coming from the federal government be enforced um, certainly it wouldn't be able to be enforced from uh, officials at the federal level and, and we need to rely on those those state and local officials anyway um, in terms of you know other ways that that the law could be I mean Lindsay mentioned in her earlier uh, answer the idea of using the spending power and I and I wonder if uh, and I'm, I'm not sure to what extent this is happening I think probably not much yet uh, even at the state and local level is to have state and local governments or even the, the the federal government but distributing it at the state and local level to provide access to a huge amount of, of PPE so have those masks available at every business maybe even require the businesses to carry the masks to have them at the front door when people come in um, and to to make it sort of a ubiquitous norm that people are just expected to wear masks. Uh, I also think that, you know, while the, the, the you know, President Biden is not going to uh, to convince Lindsay's uncle to wear a mask, uh, a an absence of a President Trump constantly undermining mask wearing, I think will help. And I, I think it'll 
it'll give some room for some of those state and local officials to not have to feel like they have to placate that position as much as they have been in the in the, in the uh, you know recent few months. Um, and so and, and and then you know the 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 sort of sad perspective, unfortunate perspective on what's going on now is you know because we're going into this huge spike right now. You know, and we are finally seeing states like Iowa and others that were holdouts, not willing to try to uh, to introduce mass mandates, starting to kind of give in because they realize how serious the situation is. That might also spur more people to, I think, be willing to comply because they're, they're really going to see firsthand that that this is something that, you know, it's 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 not about, it's, it's, or it becomes less about their individual freedom and more about, oh, I don't want to kill my neighbors or expose them to to a, to this deadly disease. Well, this is great. This is um, both a uh, little bit sobering, um, nothing like having some of the legal experts tell us about how the law alone is not a magical uh, silver bullet here, um, but also hopeful. Any final thoughts, uh, Lindsay, on what we can do to increase uh, mask wearing or are we condemned to have shutdowns uh, rather than mask wearing? I guess two thoughts. I think um, I'm really encouraged by what we're hearing as a consistent, clear message from uh, the members of the Biden, President Biden, uh, President-elect Biden's task force who have been out um, spreading the word in the press. Um, and I think what they've landed on uh, in the Biden team is exactly the right approach. Um, we need federal financial support to do the kind of thing that Lance is mentioning to 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 make better PPE, particularly um, available, widely available, convenient, right at the door of the store um, for those who have forgotten it. Um, and, and that takes federal financial support and supply chain coordination. Um, I also think um, you know I'm really liking that I'm hearing from them that they are going to work behind the scenes quietly um, to encourage uh, a hesitant read Republican um, governors and mayors to adopt their own mandates. You know that um, the press immediately went to you know the governor of South Dakota and said, "Is president you know are you going to agree to do a statewide mask mandate?" And she said, "No, but that's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be done quietly, not in a grandstanding kind of politicized way." Um, and I also think the federal government uh, hopefully can play the role it has always been intended to play through the CDC in developing best practices, putting out you know information to states about you know what is the right approach because tightest restriction isn't always the best approach for compliance. You know, requiring masks to be worn outdoors in places where people can be distanced can actually, you know, they can see that as arbitrary. They, they, they're, they're understanding based on what they're being told that that's not, that's not a high risk. Um, and so CDC uh, leadership, not control, but guidelines um, to state and local governments about what are the, what are the approaches that are working best, um, I think would be critical. But I think it's important to end on a note where we say, listen, mask mandates are not a silver bullet here. And we know that and we've known it from the start. It's they've been to some extent that the, you know, the idea that with masks, we can avoid all other restrictions. That message has been put out in some cases in an effort to encourage people to wear masks. But I think it sets realist, unrealistic expectations. We've seen places um, with strict mask requirements experience a resurgence. And so I think um, you know it's a combination. I really think this Swiss cheese metaphor um, really helps to capture the idea that we need layered interventions. Um, but a mask requirement can help us avoid the harshest restrictions 
questions. Um, and I think that's uh, that's really impactful and important. And Lance, do you have final thoughts on this? Well, I, I'll just add to what Lindsay just said. I, I think that um, the, the role that mask mandates or, or or other mask encouragement can play is really important. And, and you know, one optimistic thing I think that we can take out of this, you know, even though compliance with mask wearing is not as high as we want it to be, and it's not as high as it's needed to be, we've seen you know a huge behavioral change across the country. I mean, you know, changing cultural norms about what people wear and their behavior is is something that usually takes quite a long time. And the fact that we've seen such a change in a short amount of time, I think is actually some, it's, it's kind of remarkable. Um, I think that's going to continue to expand. And if it's coupled with with other necessary interventions, um, then then we can actually see some, some positive results. I also think that, um, you know, continuing to reiterate that point about uh, that, you know, masks are not a panacea. Masks are not going to solve all of our problems. We need all these other intervention strategies also need to be extended not just to mask wearing, but also to everyone's hope for the vaccines that are that are coming down and being developed. You know, I, I think people see those vaccines as the, as the silver bullets that will get us out of this immediately, and and that's not going to be the case. It's going to take a long time for there to be enough uh, uptake of those vaccines, and and for us to to really be able to transition back to a, a a set of behaviors where we interact with people frequently without those protections safely. And so I I think we I think um, you know the, the message and and the legal efforts to try to to try to support people to, to get to, to where we need to eventually get to are, are going to take all of those those combination of strategies together and we need to continue to remind people of that so that they don't think that you know that that, that, that there's an easy answer to this because there isn't unfortunately well good advice and thank you to both of you Lindsay and Lance for um, a really thoughtful if sometimes sobering but also optimistic conversation and thank you to all of our listeners um, we will be broadcasting here on Twitter every Tuesday and Thursday at noon Eastern time. Just go to at public PH law watch or search hashtag COVID law briefing. Recordings are available on the public health law watch website and the shows are archived by the week in health law podcast at www.twihl.com. The COVID law and policy briefings are produced by Faith Callick, Summer Brown and Liz Voiles. We'll see you next time. Please stay safe, wear your mask, and wash your hands.